If you have your copy of Scripture, take it and turn to Matthew chapter 7 with me, please. Matthew chapter 7, and let's look at verses 21 through 29. Here we have the completion of Christ's famous Sermon on the Mount. And it's called that, of course, because He went up into a high place into this mountain and He spoke there on the mountainside to all these people gathered around Him. In that group of people were many Jewish people, common everyday folks. But also in that group of people were many scribes and Pharisees, the spiritual leaders of that day. But while they were so-called spiritual leaders, Christ spent a lot of time calling out their false spirituality. Just because somebody says they're a spiritual person doesn't make them a spiritual person. Part of their false spirituality wasn't just in the words that they said, it was in the actions that they lived. They did lots of things to make themselves look spiritual. They followed after many rules and regulations, and yet Jesus spoke to them about their heart. And tonight, that's our theme of the message, empty words and empty hearts. Empty words and empty hearts. I don't know about you, but in today's world that we live in, when I hear somebody speaking and making promises, especially when an election time is coming up, I'm thinking, oh boy, here's some more empty words coming out of the mouth of somebody who's trying to just get somebody to vote for them. Maybe you have uh, better feelings than that than I do, but sad to say, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but many times those who would stand up and speak, sadly, even many pastors, speak with empty words and empty hearts. And yet Jesus here at the close of His message isn't just warning against false teachers, He's warning against being false hearers of deceiving your own self. You know, there is danger in those who would speak falsely and speak untruthful things and tell lies, and we see that all the time, and we call it stuff like fake news and lying politicians. But there's also danger in being a false hearer, in pretending to hear the truth or maybe even listening to the truth, but by failing to act upon it. And that is what Jesus speaks about here in this final section of the Sermon on the Mount. He's not preaching against false teachers. He already did that. He's not speaking out against the religious leaders of His day. He's already directed a message towards them. No, He's speaking to all of us as the hearers of His message. And He's saying, don't be a false hearer. Don't just have empty words and an empty heart. Listen as I read the words of Jesus Christ, Matthew 7, verse 21. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. What a statement. Not everybody that calls Jesus Lord is going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. You say, but man, if somebody calls Him Lord, doesn't that mean they're saved? No, He says, not everyone. So some who call Him Lord are truly believers. 
Others who call Him Lord are not true believers. He says, but, here's how He he clarifies. It's not just words. He says, but He that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So your words matter, yes, but if your words are not backed up by your actions, then your words are just empty words. Notice verse 22, many, many will say to me in that day, what day is he talking about? This is the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, the final judgment. He's speaking about this. He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Boy, we we said the right stuff. And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then Jesus says, will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So in verses 21 to 23, we have the empty words. But in verses 24 through 27, he speaks about the empty hearts. Listen to verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And then we have these final words. Verse 28 and 29. It came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at His doctrine, they were amazed. Why? Because He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So Jesus here is bringing the focus back in on His audience, on how they hear and how they receive the truth. Here He speaks about two different categories of self-deception. There's those who say but do not do, and then there are those who hear but do not do what Christ has said. Jesus is speaking here to this religious person who has deceived themselves into thinking that they're okay. Many surveys have been done even here in the United States, and according to the surveys, over 50% of people in the United States would claim to be born-again Christians. But when you study the Word of God and what a Christian surely and truly is, I would have to say these numbers must be far from correct. So while people may profess to be something, the way they actually live is a much clearer determining factor on if they really mean what they say or not. Think of Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus tells the story of the 
virgins who were preparing themselves for the bridegroom who would come. And there were ten virgins there, but only five were prepared. Remember, five had oil in their lamps and, and five did not. We sing the little song, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Well, these five virgins didn't have oil and they were not prepared. And when the bridegroom came, he, they missed him. He went on and they were left behind. Why? Because they were unprepared. They were there with the other virgins, but they were unprepared. They had not come in the right way. I want to give you some causes of self-deception. I think you can see them there in your notes. One cause of self-deception is that many professing Christians hold to a false doctrine of assurance of their salvation. How do you know that you're saved? Is it just because you raised your hand or just because you prayed a prayer or just because you came forward in a service at an invitation? No, the Bible teaches us that the way that we know that we have eternal life is because of the Holy Spirit's convicting power inside of us to tell us that we have a relationship with Him. Jesus said it this way in the idea, not only the Holy Spirit's convicting power, but that we would continue in faithful obedience. Jesus said, John 8, 31, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples. Indeed, the Holy Spirit's witness in our hearts help us, helps us to know that we can have confidence in our salvation. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, what does he say next? They are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So how do you know you're saved? It's because the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're saved. It's, it's that resonance that takes place when you feel the Spirit of God moving in you and through you as the Word of God is spoken, as the Holy Spirit convicts you and challenges you and encourages you to walk with Him. And I don't know about you, but when I have something in my life that's caused a, a distance between me and the Spirit when I'm not walking in obedience. What's one of the first struggles we have? We often begin to question, am I really saved or not? And why does that come? Is it because we didn't pray the right words in our prayer when we accepted Christ as Savior? Is that struggle because, well, did I come forward at the beginning of the service or the end of the service? Did I raise my hand high enough when they asked if I was saved? No, that struggle comes because we've allowed sin in our hearts. And because of that, the Holy Spirit of God and our spirit, we're not sensing that same communication. And how's that restored? Well, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8 that if we say we're not a sinner, we're, we're a liar, right? But it tells us instead if we confess our sin, that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm thankful tonight on one of the hottest days of the year so far. Don't worry, we got more to come. But I'm thankful tonight that the Holy Spirit of God works in the hearts of His children to convict us of sin. And if you can sin and it doesn't bother you, 
that ought to bother you. Because the Holy Spirit of God is God's Spirit. It's God Himself dwelling in the heart of the believer, bearing witness to us that we are saved. Many professing Christians hold to a false doctrine of assurance. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 13, how there are those who will appear to be saved but are truly not. In the parable of the seed being sown in the different types of soils, verses 20 to 22, he says, But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy received it, yet hath he not root in himself. But dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. True salvation is demonstrated by continuing in the faith, continuing in obedience. It doesn't mean that the Christian will never struggle and never sin. But if you can sin and it doesn't bother you, that ought to bother you. There's another cause of self-deception, and this is the fact that many professing Christians fail to examine themselves. Many people who claim to be saved go through life oblivious and seemingly unconcerned about their sin. 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul challenged the church in Corinth. He said, examine yourselves. Whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? Hey, do you take time to examine yourself according to the Word of God, to hold up God's Word as our perfect standard of authority and say, Lord, how am I doing? Search me, O God. Examine me. Show me where I need to change. If you can go through life, and just be unconcerned about your sin, that's a problem. Examine yourself. A person who has no desire to come to the Lord for continued cleansing, continuing to come to the Lord to confess their sin, that person has reason to doubt their salvation. Why? Because true salvation is receiving the Holy Spirit of God and He will continue to work and to convict and challenge us to grow to be more like Him. Hey, my friend, tonight, don't let your past experience be your confirmation of present salvation. I'm not teaching that you can lose your salvation. What I'm saying is continue to look to Jesus. Let Him continue to transform your life through His power. Be willing to examine yourself and say, I know for a fact I still have a long way to go to be like Jesus. So God, show me what needs to change. Sure, we all get to different stages in our life. Many of you are parents here tonight and you hope that you've matured some way further along than your children have, maybe as you hit even into more senior adulthood, hopefully you've got a little bit more discipline and self-control and some things figured out. But my friends, when we compare ourselves with Jesus, we all have a long way to go. And we have to be careful, even as, as this preacher up here tonight has to be careful, that we aren't just full of empty 
words, that we take time to examine ourselves. Another reason that people are deceiving themselves is because of an inordinate concentration on religious activity. They keep themselves so busy doing all kinds of stuff that they never take time to examine their hearts and say, is my motivation even right? I'm really concerned about this for our young people, our teenagers, our children, because it's so easy, boys and girls, right, to be involved in all the stuff and activity and things going on at church. But then all of a sudden, one day, you get out on your own. You're like, well, why are we even doing this? What, what's the point? I'm not saying you should stop going to church or stop singing when the songs are sung, but if it's not coming out of a heart to follow the Lord, it's easy to deceive yourself. I'm okay. I mean, I'm in church on a Wednesday night. Only the spiritual people are here. Listen, don't get caught up in deceiving yourself. All of us need to be examining our hearts before the Lord. Another cause of self-deception for some is thinking that doing enough good will balance out the bad. Well, if I just, you know, I've messed up some, but I'm going to just try to do some good things now to try to make up for the bad things. There's none that doeth good, the Bible says. No, not one. He says, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, but it's by grace, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Don't get this false idea. This is a man-made, self-deceiving idea that there's some giant scale in the sky, and God's taking all your good works and put it on one side, and all your bad works and putting them on the other side and say, well, if the good works outweigh the bad, then they're okay. Oh, it's so easy to deceive ourselves that we, our good works hopefully will balance out the bad and that will make us okay. I think another cause that we see of self-deception is that superficial person, person who just kind of doesn't really take much time to pay attention to the Word of God. Oh, yeah, I grew up in church. Oh, I, I know the truth. I, I'm okay. I'm okay. And they've just deluded themselves into thinking that they're okay because they've never taken time to dig into the Word of God, to examine their own hearts. I think another cause of self-deception is the person who's knowledgeable about the Bible but is knowledgeable more or less for academic reasons. Now, I love to study God's Word, and I hope you do as well. And I think we ought to love to study it more and more every day. But if we just do it just to be smart about the Bible, it's not going to change our life. God's Word, if it's not lived out, will not transform your life. At the end of James chapter 1, he challenges us not just to be hearers, but to be doers of the Word. And he uses the example of a man who goes and looks at himself in the mirror and, in the, and his hair's all messed up or whatever his issue is and he sees his problem and he goes away and he forgets about it altogether. But as we look into God's Word, it's like a mirror that reflects back and shows us what we're really like. You ever seen a video of yourself or heard a recording of yourself and thought, ooh, I sound like that? Oh, I can't believe I look like that. Anybody ever felt like that? I know I have. At least a couple honest people, right? Well, guess what? That's what we get to look at all the time. That's what we hear all the time. I, 
I've realized this being somebody who's tall, I feel completely normal. Like, I don't feel tall. I feel normal because this is the body I live in all the time. But then other people, wow, you're tall. And just like you feel normal, you feel like this is what I'm supposed to be like. You know, you never really ever actually see yourself. You only see a reflection of yourself or a picture of yourself. Have you ever thought about that? You've never actually seen your own face. You've only ever seen a picture or a reflection of your own face. That's kind of crazy to think about, isn't it? And the Word of God is God's way of showing us a reflection of ourselves. And if we ignore that reflection and we go our way, we are deceiving ourselves into thinking that we are something that we are not. These are some of the issues that Jesus is dealing with here when he's talking about their empty words and their empty hearts. Let's take just a few minutes and look at these empty words. In Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23, we see over and over on two different occasions, this person repeats the name of the Lord twice. Lord, Lord, verse 21. And again in verse 22, Lord, Lord. In the Bible, when a name or something like this is is repeated, it was for emphasis. Like if I called you out, hey, hey, right? Calling your name out twice. John, hey, John, right? They were saying, Lord, Lord, it was for emphasis. Just because you say it loudly doesn't mean that you've truly changed inside. In fact, he, he ends this section in verse 23. He calls these people, he calls them ye that work iniquity or live a life of continual sin. In other words, what you say matters, but it must come from a heart that's genuinely focused on seeking after God. Because it's not your works that save you. And it's not your words that save you. It's Jesus Christ who saves you. And it's your faith in Jesus Christ that gives you that ability to receive the forgiveness that He offers to all. We are saved through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He's speaking here about true and false verbal professions of faith and good works. You say true and false, this all feels very false. Well, look at verse 21. He says, not everyone that saith unto me. So there are some who say, Lord, and they're doing it out of a genuine heart of a desire to follow God, someone who truly is submitting themselves to Him, and they will inherit eternal life. Now remember, here at the end of Matthew chapter 7, where did we start in Matthew 7? He was talking about the broad way and the narrow way. Right? And so there are some who truly are on that narrow way to, that leads to eternal life. And when they're calling out, Lord, they're doing it out of a heart that's in a right relationship with God. But there are those who use the same words, but they don't have this relationship with God. He's, think of the audience he's speaking to. These are Jewish people. They're looking for their Messiah, right? They're looking for the one who's going to set them free. 
they've been following the law, albeit not perfectly, but they've been striving to follow the law in, in some regard or another for generations, for thousands of years. And now Jesus says, not everybody that calls out and says, Lord, Lord, is really right with God. You know, I wonder how these people knew who were the faithful ones and who were the unfaithful ones. Have you ever wondered that? How can you tell the difference between someone who's a genuine believer and someone who's not? Well, we might say something like this. Well, that's between them and the Lord, right? We don't know their heart, and that's true. Only God sees the heart. But for us as individuals, his challenge to us is that we examine our own heart and our own life and make sure that our words are not just empty words spoken out of something saying, look at me. It's not about the show. It's not just about what I say. It's about a heart that's been transformed by the work of God. He continues on and I think gives us even more clarity in the second section, verses 24 through 27, as he talks about empty hearts. He uses the example of two guys building two different houses. I know for me growing up, this was one of my favorite songs. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man, though, he built his house, what, on the sand, right? And the winds came and the storms came. And the Bible says the house on a rock stood firm, but the house on the sand went splat, right? And then the end of the song says, so build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. That song comes from this passage here in Matthew 7, and Christ is setting up this incredible illustration, this contrast. So I want you to notice first some of the similarities of these builders and their houses. Think about it. Both builders have heard the gospel. They both heard the same message. Look with me, if you will, at Matthew 7 and verse 24. He says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon the rock. Look now at verse 26. He says, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man. Both heard the same message. They both heard the gospel. What's another similarity between these two builders? Well, obvious, they both built a house, right? Both guys hear the same message. Both guys build a house. And this is interesting too. They both built their houses in the same general location. Well, how do you know that? Because they got hit by the same storm. Can you imagine? It, to me, it's as if Christ is saying, this is like two guys that maybe they attend the same church. They heard the same preacher. They heard the same message. They both were building houses. They were building lives. They were carrying on about their business. They got married. They had kids. They went to work. They took care of their... They, they did whatever they did. Both guys' homes, both guys' lives went through storms. These were all similarities of these two. They both lived in the same town. They went to the same church. Perhaps they even had some of the same friends. 
outwardly, as far as we can tell, their house, their houses were very much alike. In fact, the only way that the difference was noted between these two men and their houses was when the storm came. From all outward appearance in day-to-day life, their houses looked the same. The messages that they heard were the same. Everything looked like the same. Now, when I was a kid, I had this picture that, you know, this one guy built it upon a rock, so it was like way up here in the air on the rock and the other guy on the sand. I don't think this is what this is talking about because these things looked similar from all outward appearance. What was different was not the outward appearance. What was different was the foundation of the two, what was underneath the houses, right? One was built on the rock, and one was built on the sand. So what are these differences? Well, one builder, he acts upon God's Word. Notice again back in our text, verse 24, the one he says, heareth these sayings of mine. What are the next three words? Let's say them together. And doeth them. That's the one guy. He does what the Word of God says. What's the other guy? Look down at verse number 26. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and read the next three words with me, doeth them not. Two very similar guys building very similar houses in very similar locations. But one hears the Word of God and does it. The other one hears the Word of God and doesn't do it. Isn't that interesting? Because in our lives today, as we look around, even as I look around this room tonight, at the end of the day, I don't really know what's in your heart. I can kind of see what sort of house you're building. You know, I can maybe see what kind of drama is going on in your family, at least what you let us know about. I'll never forget one time, you know, with a family in the church where I was working as the youth pastor, I went to pick up one of the teenage boys at his house. And when I pull up, I'm in the front yard and I could hear the screaming and yelling in my car from inside the house. And I thought, oh boy, there's a lot going on in this family that I don't know about. Right? Because from the outward appearance, it may all look like it's good. We're all building our little house, chasing our American dream, whatever that looks like. But one is hearing the word and doing it. The other one's hearing it and not doing it. But it's interesting because they both build houses. Sometimes we think, well, those who don't obey the Word of God, they're not building a house at all. No, they're building a house. And in fact, Jesus is teaching their house might actually look a lot like the house of the guy who is obeying the Word of God. You know, sometimes that's discouraging for those who are building their house and obeying the Word of God. They go, well, what's the use? Man, this guy does whatever he wants, and he seems like it's all working out okay for him. But here I am, trying to do the right thing, and it's hard. No appreciation for this. He's got a house, I got a house, but his house seemed like it was a lot easier to build because he could build it wherever he wanted to build it. 
One acts upon God's word, he has obedience. The other does not act upon God's word, he lives in disobedience. One is building according to God's way. One is building according to his own way. The wise man, he's building on the rock. The foolish man's building on the sand. Jesus has already dealt a lot with the Pharisees, and they offered a way forward that Jesus compared to the broad way that leads to destruction. This was a way that was ultimately sand. Look good, it seemed solid until the storms came. There was lots of works, lots of show, but there was nothing solid underneath. The wise man built his house on a rock. The rock is a picture of the Word of God, of the truth that doesn't change. Jesus Christ, when he was speaking with Peter in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, well, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, thou art Peter. And upon this, what does he say? Rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, the mark of a true Christian is not just hearing and seeming to believe, but rather believing and then doing True disciples are not just hearers, they are hearers and doers of the word. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, he says, And hereby we do know that we know Him. Here's how you know that you know that you have a personal relationship with God. How do you know? If we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. See, the only validation of true salvation is a life of obedience. It's not speaking of a works-based salvation, but he's saying... The evidence of your salvation will be demonstrated through what you do and why you do it. Faith without works is dead. The house built on the rock is a life full of obedience. The house built on the rock is a life that's emptying itself of self-righteousness and pride. It's the life that mourns over its own sin and strives to enter in at the narrow gate. Sand is human opinion and attitudes and desires, and these things are always shifting and unstable. Go back to our text in Matthew chapter 7, verse 25, and he says of this house upon a rock, the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that rock, and it fell not. Why? Because it was founded upon a rock. And verse 27 same thing, only this time the house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew. The storm is the same in both cases, but the results of the storm are very different. The result of the storm upon the house on the rock, it stood firm. The result of the storm on the house on the sand, it fell and great was 
the fall of it. That which looked so wonderful and nice, that looked so similar to the other house, those who'd heard the same message and built similar houses in similar places, when they went through the same storm, one house stood and the other house fell. And it says, and great was the fall of it. Isn't it interesting how you've probably experienced this in your own life, you've maybe seen in your own personal experience or somebody that you know you look around and everything seems to be going great and then all of a sudden boom it just falls down and, and people make statements about this in business they'll say well their whole business was just a house of cards right or they'll say well they built that but there was no foundation to it it all looked good it was all show but no go or as I told somebody this week, here in Texas, we say, he's all hat and no cattle, right? He's got a good look. It looks like he's got it all together, but he doesn't have anything solid underneath to maintain it. The reality is we're all going to face storms. And is this storm just the struggle of life? Or is this storm the final judgment that God will bring someday on every one of us? Either way, storms reveal what our house is built upon. You've seen it if you've lived in Houston for any amount of time. Any building or dwelling that you've lived in has had to withstand lots of rain. Not recently, but probably will before the year's out. You've seen if that foundation is not good, what happens around the edges? It starts to wear away and wash away. And if it washes away too much, You'll get a crack in your foundation. If it goes on too long, you've seen this in some of the big hurricanes we've had and things. Somebody in a mobile home just it's carried away completely. It's gone. We had some friends. We have some missionaries that we've supported the Fitzgeralds down in Peru. And several years ago, where their church building was located was near a big drainage ditch. And it was not properly, the, the drainage was not set up properly. And so when they'd get these massive rains and massive storms, it was just wearing away the bank. And they were concerned if this went on too long, it was going to wear out right underneath their building and their whole building was going to come down. Thankfully, they were able to get things put back together. But storms are powerful things. And they reveal what our foundation really is. I want you to see finally tonight the response of the people to the sermon. It says in Matthew 7, verse 28, It came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished. Astonished at His doctrine, at His teaching. They were amazed. Why? For He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. What does it mean to teach as one having authority? It's one who is teaching, and as he's teaching, he's standing on the solid rock. He's speaking the truth. He has authority. He's not just loud, but what he's speaking rings true. It resonates in the hearts of the hearers. It, it convicts. It has power. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the living word. And when Jesus spoke, he spoke the word of God. Pharisees and scribes, as a reference here, as the scribes, they were speaking man's words, their own human interpretation, their own take on a matter, trying to point people more to themselves than they were to point people to God. Jesus called them 
sepulchers or painted gravestones full of dead man's bones. He said, it, 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 there's nothing solid here. It's empty. It's dead. Now, to me, it's both encouraging and discouraging two pieces, I think, in this response. One, it's encouraging because the people recognize that what he spoke was truth. And I think when we hear the truth, when we look at God's Word, it ought to resonate with us. That, that's true. Here's what's discouraging or, or maybe a little bit sad about this response. You don't read here, at least, how anybody actually responded in obedience to the message. Now, maybe they did. But it is interesting to me that here that you don't see... Like on Pentecost when 3,000 people come and, and trust Christ. See, I think the reality is this. There are many hearers. There's many that hear the truth, but there are few that will actually go the narrow way, through the narrow gate. There are few that will come and say, you know what, I realize to get through this gate, I've got to come on my own. I can't bring my riches through with me. I, I can't bring anybody else through with me. No one else can get me through this gate. I, I can't get through in my own strength. But there are a lot of people that say, well, I would come to God, but I don't want to have to give up and fill in the blank. Well, if I come to God, I'm going to have to stop doing whatever it is. What Jesus is saying is the way is narrow, but the narrow way leads to eternal life. It would seem to me that the response of the people here is in line with what Christ had already described about the broad way and the narrow way. My question to all of us tonight is, which path are you on? Where are you building your house? Is it on sand? Or is it on the rock? To everybody here, your house may look fine. You've all heard the same message. But we're all going to face the same storm. And the storm reveals what the house is built upon. And as you take some time, not just to sort of superficially pass this by tonight, but say, where am I at? What am I doing with the truth? Have I received it? Have I trusted in Jesus Christ? Or am I just trusting in the fact that I'm a pretty good person? If you're here tonight, well, I just, you know, this is how I grew up. I've just always known the truth, so I must be okay. My friend, tonight, can I say it as lovingly as I know how? You're not okay, and I'm not okay if it's up to us to gain eternal life. We must all come through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This isn't about comparing yourself to anybody else. We all looked around. Our houses probably all look pretty good tonight. No, it's, it's looking at what's under your house. That thing that nobody else is going to know about until the storm comes, until the judgment comes, until God brings His final 
declaration of love. The Lord sees the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. God's not trying to make salvation difficult or impossible. No, He's trying to make it very clear. Lots of people want to come up with their own methods to save themselves through self-awareness, through self-righteousness, through their own selfish means. But Jesus is very clear. The only way is the narrow way. And I hope that you know that you know that you're on that way. And if you're on that way, it's a challenge to stay in the way, isn't it? To, to stay on the right path, to continue to examine our hearts. Not because we're in fear of losing salvation. When He's given it to us, we have it because He holds on to us. Praise God, because we could never hold on tight enough to Him and we'll all fail. But a life that is lived in relationship with Him is a life that it ought to be focused on continuing and growing with Him day by day. Let's examine our own hearts and see, what's my response? Where's my house? Which road am I on? Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word and the message of Christ. And it hits home. Thank you for Lord, it's true that Many times we just get caught up in everything else we have going on and our words just become empty words being spoken out of empty hearts because we're just so busy in the day-to-day or we're putting our confidence in the wrong things. Help us to know the truth that salvation is of the Lord and that our faith and hope must be in Him. Lord, help us not to just trust in our own righteousness or in the religious actions, the fact that we're just trying hard. Help us to trust in you. Lord, you've said in your word that the gospel is very simply the death. Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Our hope is in Jesus, that he died for my sin and for the sins of the world, and that He rose again. And my hope of eternal life is not in what I do for Him, but in what He has done for me. Lord, if there's somebody here tonight whose hope is in anything else other than Jesus Christ and Christ alone, may they trust in You tonight. I just want to take a moment before we close this prayer and just ask you if I might pray for you. If there's somebody here tonight that would say, Pastor, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I'm not sure that I have trusted Christ. I've done some good things. I've tried my best, but my hope is not in Him for salvation. I've been trusting in something else. Would you pray for me tonight? If you would, just slip your hand up, put it right back down. I'll just pray for you. I won't call you out. Nobody's looking around, just me. Let's pray. Lord, you know each heart and each need. I pray that you would speak to us as only you can. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.